You're listening to a message from Redeemer Bible Church. We hope you'll visit us in person, or you can find more messages like this one at RedeemerBibleChurch.com. Father, we we ask that you speak to our hearts, that we could hear you, that we could know you, that you would lead us into all truth, that we would be able to walk out of this place today after the hearing and preaching of your word more equipped to proclaim the good news of Jesus. We pray this in the name of Christ and God's people said, amen. God appoints appointments. God appoints appointments. How many of you on your calendars this week put shoveling snow? Because the forecast was yesterday, it started snowing at 7 a.m., but you know what? It changed, didn't it? Because God said, no, I'm not going to make it snow at 7 a.m. I'm going to make it do it later. How many of you put on your calendars, the car won't start today? Or I'm going to talk to this person at the grocery store about a trouble in their lives. How many of us have all these kinds of interruptions that show up in our calendar? We might use a paper calendar. We might use our devices. And they're all set and they're all scheduled. But how many of us can look back and say, the last week was full of interruptions. Full of things that I didn't design for myself. How many of you could say that? Raise your hand. Some of you aren't telling the truth. The Lord loves to interrupt what little plans we make, doesn't he? The Lord, we've seen in Acts, how he has orchestrated things beyond what the disciples knew was going to happen, but he used those things, things like suffering and persecution, he used those things to make the word of God known. He used those things to proclaim Jesus so that people would come and be added to the congregation, that people would come and be added to the church. Praise the Lord, he does that. Amen? Our passage today shows us how God continued to spread the message of Jesus Christ. We'll see how the Lord uses Philip. He uses Philip as a bold witness for the gospel. Remember, Philip had had been one of the disciples scattered um, during the persecution that arose after Stephen was martyred. Philip went to Samaria. Um, We see that in Acts 8.4. It says that those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Everybody who was scattered went about preaching the word. They didn't just, oh, no, we got to be quiet. No, they, with boldness, they continued to preach the word. Acts 8, 4 said that those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down um, elevation, but up in direction north to the city of Samaria. Philip brought the gospel. The people heard, and as we see in Acts 8, 8, there was joy there. And here's something you can take to the bank. And I want you to take it to the bank. You know what, you know what that means, that saying, take it to the bank? It means you can, it's a guarantee. Wherever Jesus Christ is to be found, there is joy. Amen? Wherever Jesus is to be found, there is joy. And I, and I pray that's true of your heart today. I pray that that's true of your life right now, that you experience great joy. Today we're going to see a lot of that joy. And we're going to see it in unlikely places. We're going to see today that our text demonstrates that God appoints and provides for gospel witness. 
God appoints and provides for gospel witness. We'll, we'll look at this um, in our thesis, these two areas of how God appoints, and we'll look at how God provides. First, we'll look at how God appoints. God appoints two things. He appoints the people, and he appoints the appointments. God appoints the people, and he appoints the appointments. Let's look at God appoints the people. Verse 26, it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the rose that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Told Philip to go. What did Philip do? He obeyed and he went. God told him to go and he went. From Samaria, which is north of Jerusalem, it's about 40 miles north of Jerusalem, God said, I want you to go down south to the road that leads to Gaza from Jerusalem. So um, Gaza is about 50 miles southwest of Jerusalem. So you imagine Philip's in the north, about 40 miles north of Jerusalem. God said, hey, I want you to go down south, right? Go down south. Some of us want to go down south now, right? Go down south. So it's a 90-plus trip, 90 miles or so that he's going, and he goes down to this road, and it, it goes, so you've got uh, Samaria, Jer Jerusalem, Judea area, and then you've got Idumea, and they go through Idumea. That's that road that goes to Gaza over to the coast. 26, verse 26 says it's a desert place. So this is one of those roads that goes through the desert. It's an arid region, and uh, it's one of those cars where, places where you don't want your car to break down, you know? You don't want that, your car to break down on that road. You're out in the middle of, of, of the wilderness, essentially. God tells him to go, and he goes. He goes. God calls his, on his people often and sends them to places they don't expect. Verse 27a, this is a desert place, it says, and then, and then he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. God has always been in the business of calling people to go. Since Abraham, we've seen that. God called Abraham and said, go. God calls us to go often. And see, one thing that you should know about the disciples, they've le left us this great example. They always obeyed. And we can see other passages in the, in the scripture where we see people who didn't obey God. I think of like Jonah. What Jonah went like all the way the opposite way of where God told him to go. But what ended up happening, God used Jonah to proclaim the, the good news of God in Nineveh. And people repented. So even in the disobedience of people, God can still orchestrate the good things that he has intended, right? Because he's sovereign. He's a sovereign God. He tells Philip to go about 90-plus miles out of the way to the desert. He went. What was God up to? What was God up to? God appoints people. Philip's life was about to intersect with someone that no one would have expected he would run into. No one would have expected this. But God intended it. There just so happened. Right? You think about the text. It says there was an Ethiopian on the road. And, and, and if you think about it and you read it, it's kind of like it just so happened. Right? It just so happened that there's an Ethiopian on the road. The biblical Ethiopia was um, known as the land of Cush. The Old Testament says the land of Cush. And the biblical Ethiopia in the New Testament age 
is, is actually what's now Sudan. So there's Egypt and then Sudan is underneath. Our contemporary Ethiopia is on the Horn of Africa over here. But Ethiopia, the land of Cush, is just south of Egypt. Egypt. So this guy has traveled a long way to go to Jerusalem, and now he's returning home. He was an African, so he, his ethnicity was African, so he's a black man. And so one thing we should keep in mind is we see God, he's, he's about to reach into a new ethnic group with the gospel. Amen. The Bible tells us that he was a eunuch, and eunuchs um, were men who, as boys, they were castrated. And one reason why slave owners did this is because it made them more um, loyal. Um, they didn't have to worry about these particular slaves with their daughters or their wives or their money. And so they became very loyal, and so they could, they could grow up and they could be appointed to very uh, prestigious roles. And this Ethiopian eunuch was um, a servant of Queen Candace. What's interesting about the land of Cush, Ethiopia, is that the king, whoever the king was, he was venerated as like a, a child of the sun. So he didn't take part in any of the secular duties of his office as king. The queen did all that. The queen took care of everything. We, there's some households now that are kind of like that, right? The queen takes care of everything, right? Happy life, happy wife. You know, so that, that's, she's the orchestrator. She's the one that does everything. She's the one that handles all the business. She's the one that has all the treasure of the kingdom. And she's got this Ethiopian eunuch as her treasurer. He's in the office. She was called Candace. There's some debate about whether this was her personal name or not. Um, the, there's a dynastic title, the Candace. Um, some of you could say, oh, I'm going to call myself that. I'm going to use the definitive article and call myself the Dale for the rest of the day. And everybody will laugh at you. Don't do that. The Candace. And so, here's this man. Verse 27 says that the Ethiopian had come to Jerusalem to worship. Now, regarding his religion, um, it's likely that he was a Jewish proselyte. So he was he, w- he might have been a, a Jew by birth because we know that after, you know, the 8th, 7th, and 6th centuries B.C., the dispersion of Jews because of the Assyrian and Babylonian um, 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 attacks on Jerusalem and Israel spread Jews, or maybe possibly some people say a million people that were Jewish outside of Judea and Israel and Samaria. And so it's possible that he was born Jewish because his family was Jewish. But because he was a eunuch, he would never be able to be a full Jew. He would never be allowed to be a full Jewish individual because um, Deuteronomy 23.1 excludes eunuchs from entering the assembly or the congregation. They couldn't do it. So even if he was born Jewish, he wouldn't be considered a full Jew. Even if he was a God seeker and trying to convert He couldn't formally convert to Judaism because of his um, blemish. The Bible, wouldn't you know, however, holds some amazing promises for both someone from the land of Cush and um, for eunuchs. Isaiah 11.10 and 11 says this, In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains 
of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. Promise to people of Cush. And then a promise to the eunuchs, Isaiah 56, 3. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and, and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. What promises? What promises to the one from Cush, to this man from Ethiopia, to this man who is a eunuch? The man had gone to Jerusalem to worship God and is now returning home. Verse 28 says, he, and he was returning and seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. He was a devoted follower. Not only did he make this this trek to Jerusalem, but he is sitting and reading his own scroll of the prophet Isaiah. What devotion. That's a good reminder to us. Some of you have lots of community, right? So you just put your Bible on the steering wheel and you read it. No, that's not what I'm saying. Don't say I said that. But guess what? The Bible's on audio. The Bible's on audio in the DT language. We have access to the scriptures all the time. You can have it playing on a speaker in your house, just filling the air with the atmosphere of Jesus. Why wouldn't you do that? Just a thought. The man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. He's reading his scriptures. But this, even if it was perhaps one of the many pilgrimages of his lifetime, this was going to be the most exquisite and beautiful one of them all. And it wasn't because he got to Jerusalem. It was because he was leaving Jerusalem. And he was about to meet the very God of the very God, Jesus. He was traveling home, reading Isaiah. He continued to seek the God of Israel. And see, God appoints the people. He's got Philip, and he's got this Ethiopian eunuch, and here they meet. God appoints the appointment. It, the uniqueness of this meeting is fascinating to me. You've got a Hellenistic Jew, Greek Jew, um, Philip, I was about to say Stephen, Philip, um, who is meeting a man from Ethiopia who's a treasurer, a high official. It's fascinating. Only the Lord could do this. Verse 29. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. What did Philip do? He went over and joined the chariot. Now, as soon as, as we hear the word chariot, some of you might start thinking like Ben-Hur, um, some of you who are younger might think the 2008 Adam Sandler movie, Bedtime Stories. There's a chariot scene in that, too. No, And, and our contemporary understanding of chariot um, is much like if we thought of the word car and we always associated it with a Corvette. There's multiple cars. There's multiple cars in the parking lot. When you think of a chariot, ancient chariot, you got to think of there's multiple different ways. There's some that really go fast. And the guys on there try to kill each other in the, in the, the arena. And then there's some that are pulled by an ox. Right? So sometimes they go really slow. Okay? So 
chariot. This chariot was likely a, um, an ox cart, um, a really fancy one. So it was moving at a pace. So Philip is told to run. You know, he goes, he says, go meet this chariot. He runs over to the chariot, and he could probably walk beside the chariot because it was moving at a slow, slow pace. Verse 30, so Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. The man had his own copy of the scroll. Um, and, and this is not something that everybody just did in the day. And what's interesting, too, is he practiced reading aloud. Um, in the first century, most people, when they read scrolls, they read aloud because if you've ever looked at an ancient manuscript, the interesting thing about those scrolls is that in Greek, all the letters are capitalized and there's no punctuation. Some of you who are teachers are like already panicking about this. There's no punctuation, and they cram everything. You know, because scrolls, you know, the, the, the materials to do these things was, was so scarce. So they have it so crammed together, and you're reading. And so the, 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 the practice of reading it out loud is something that was common. Um, our language has reached a point of sophistication where we can read internally, but the practice in the first century was reading out loud, especially from the Greek Septuagint. But so he runs up to the chariot, and he hears the Ethiopian reading, and listen to this. Listen to this. He was listening, right? He was listening. He was listening to what was going on. Our contemporary culture, we don't do this very well. We don't listen very well. We're distracted by lots of little fish hooks. We're distracted a lot. Sometimes we enter a situation with our, our, our family, right? And our family's going crazy and something's going on. It sounds like cougars are wrestling. And you go in there and you're like, what's going on? And one child starts to say something, another child says, and you're like, no, I'm not listening to any of this. Because it takes time takes patience. Or you're in a one-on-one -on -one conversation with somebody, and for five minutes you've been thinking about the point you want to say as soon as they take a breath, right? I've worked really hard to get better at listening, and, and I keep figuring out I'm not very good at it, and I need more practice. But it's only when we listen is when we can ask the right questions. Only when we listen can we ask the right questions. Only when we truly understand what's going on, when we've heard the facts, can we ask the right question. Learn how to do this. Learn how to do this with your spouses. Learn how to do this with your children. Learn how to do this with your bosses. Learn how to do this with your neighbors. Have you ever felt like you know you're really loved by someone? It's, it's often because they, they're listening to you, right? Oh, she really listens to me even when I'm talking crazy. So I love her so much, right? I say that every day. Work on this, listening. Philip had been, had been listening to the Lord and he obeyed the Lord. Lord tells him to go somewhere he wasn't planning on going. He gets there. Lord says, go, go over to that chariot. He listens and he goes, he responds rightly. And he asks this question after he hears. He says, do you understand what you're reading? He knew this scripture. 
He knew this passage of the text. He knew what was happening. He knew the Lord had sent him. He knew that this was about to be a glorious moment because God had orchestrated it. And the Ethiopian eunuch looked at him, verse 31, said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come and sit with them. The Lord had appointed these two people in the appointment that they would have. Philip was invited by the eunuch to join him. And you and I are about to see. We're, we're invited right now to see what the Lord's going to do. God provides. God appoints the people. God appoints the appointments. And God provides. God provides. First, God provides for the witness to the gospel. Look at verse 32. Now, the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shear is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? You know, one of the things I've heard pastors and, and I have started joking about um, in, in my years is when you're doing expository preaching, um, there's different pitches, pitches, right, Plant, like baseball, that, that God can give you, right? Sometimes you get the fastball, you swing and you miss, right? You swing and you miss. You know, you try to prepare as best you could. You, you put your heart into it. You, you preach and, and, and you just miss some stuff. And that's okay. The Lord still uses it. Or it could be the fastballs when you preach really fast and try to get out of there. Right? Depending on what you're preaching. Against. Sometimes God throws you a curveball. You know, you think Texas is taking you this way. And you start to preach that way. And then all of a sudden, you go another, another way. And usually that's because there's someone asleep in the audience and you keep looking at them, trying to get their attention, right? Sometimes you get a knuckleball. You don't know where the thing's going. It's all over the place. Then sometimes you get this, the slow ball, the slow pitch, right? The Lord, for Philip, gave him a slow pitch. Set it all up. For, and it's not because Philip needed it. Now, now we've already seen that he's able to, to reach many people because he's a faithful servant. But everything, right, in this, it's not just it's a slow pitch, but everything is lined up so much so that you and I can see God or orchestrated every part of this, didn't he? All the way down to the very text Philip's going to hear as he comes up to the chariot. God orchestrated all of it. And God's orchestrating things in your life right now. All sorts of things. So that you could be faithful as well. For Philip the Evangelist, the passage of Scripture the Ethiopian was reading, and the question he asked was a nice slow pitch from a heavenly hand. The fact is that with all this that happened, you and I can see God did this. God did this. The passage Philip overheard the man reading when he approached the chariot was from Isaiah chapter 53, verses 7 and 8. Now, these verses from Isaiah 53 is one of the several servant songs, servant songs in Isaiah. 
There's several of these throughout. And the servant songs were these passages where a suffering servant would be sent by God to suffer on behalf of God's people. Right? And Isaiah 53 is, is one of the most famous. It, it's within chapters 52 through thir- uh, 13 through 53, 12. Uh, and the, the eunuch's question is pointed. Who, who's, who's the prophet talking about? And even first century Jews had some debate about who the prophet Isaiah was talking about. One thing they did know, though, is that they know there's no evidence that first century Jewish um, theologians thought that the suffering servant was the Messiah. They had other texts talking about the triumphant Messiah, this geopolitical military force that's going to come in and remove the oppressors from Israel so that Israel could be restored to her own beauty. None of them thought that the suffering servant was indeed the Messiah. But all the contemporary Christians of Philip's day, they knew this to be true. Even Jesus himself talked about Isaiah 53 in reference to himself. Philip opened his mouth at the question. Philip is described as opening his mouth to speak. Luke uses this word that, that really has this formal utterance, right? When he opened his mouth, it's, it's going to be a formal thing. He's going to systematically walk through information. The Ethiopian needed to understand. He needed a guide. The Lord has sent one, like he's sending some of you. The Bible says that Philip began at this passage of Scripture, and told him the good news of Jesus. So it's interesting. You know, you, when, when you hear someone, someone ask you a question about the Bible, they, at, they present a passage of Scripture. Here's a great, great method. Just start where they're at. So what did he do? He started where he was at. Let's turn over to Isaiah 52. 52, starting in verse 13. I want to read through this. I think it's helpful. Just, just, just because... It's always good to hear the word of God read, right? Just because it's always amazing to hear this prophecy about the Messiah written 700 years before Jesus walked on the earth. Isaiah 52, starting in verse 13, it says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. This person was beaten so bad, you couldn't tell that he was a human anymore. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told to them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he's heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been, ex- been revealed? For he grew up, before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. And he had no form or majesty that we should look on him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and and we esteemed him not. Listen to this, verse four. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we 
like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And this is what, the, what Philip heard as he ran up to the chariot. Verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that is before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they have made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Who is this talking about, friends? Children, who do you think this is talking about? There's one answer. It's the answer for everything, right? You can be in Sunday school and that can be your answer and it's going to be good and right. Jesus. You and I, we read this on the other side of the cross and we hear this and we're like, this is talking about the Lord. This is talking about our Messiah, Jesus, our God who came to suffer on our behalf so that we could be righteous. Not because of anything we did, because everything he did. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so this is what Philip heard as he comes up. And this is what Philip begins with. He begins with this passage. He probably talked about the context of Isaiah. And he said, we know who it's talking about. It's not Isaiah. It's Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the one who came from Nazareth. That's who it's about. Philip opened his mouth, and he began at this passage and told him the good news about Jesus. So, friend, wherever you are, Christian, wherever you are, someone asked you a Bible question, you start with that scripture and just go for it. Let the word guide you. The suffering servant here, Jesus, written 700 years before Christ, came into this world. He's the one who suffered the unjust punishment for the sin of others. And that, that suffering brings healing and peace. Jesus had told his disciples in Mark 10, 45, he said, For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus knew himself as this suffering servant. And the, potnal, uh, the apostles witnessed to this. They witnessed this. And, and the fulfillment of Scripture by Jesus is clear. Luke twenty two thirty seven. 37. He said, For I tell you that this Scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And he's quoting Isaiah 53, 12. 1 Peter 2.21, the themes of Isaiah 53, just run through this. Listen to this. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. 
When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Christian, by his wounds, you have been healed. And what is your ailment? Your ailment is a spiritual disease called sin. And Christ has defeated that and he's defeated the grave. And you can rejoice. Amen? For you were strained like sheep, Peter continues, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. All the things of Isaiah 53 run through that, don't they? Really, the Lord used the same messenger to reach the Ethiopian that the Lord's been using for ages. You know what it is? It's not Philip. It's not a person. It's the word. Because when God speaks a word, it's alive, right? It's alive. And so this should be what saturates your heart so that on the tip of your tongue is always an answer for any question anybody would ask you about why you have such joy, why you have such hope. Why are you smiling when you're suffering so? You know, it seems to me like you would be sad in this moment, but you, you seem so at peace. Why is that? What do you think about this political shenanigan? It doesn't seem to phase you. See, those are the kinds of questions that people ask. Because you know what? Your life is always on display. Your life is always on display. And God will provide for that. But friend, Christian, let this fill your heart. Because it will be a great salve for what ails you at all times. It will be a joy and a treasure for you at all times. It will be the thing that calls you out of darkness often. So I, I challenge you, if, if this isn't something that is readily available in your memory banks, go to the well, go to the treasure, okay? Everybody hear me? I'm telling you to read your Bibles. I'm telling you to meditate on your Bibles. I'm telling you to memorize your Bibles. Because the world has a lot of answers for us that are all wrong. They are teaching kids in public schools things that are all wrong and have nothing to do with God or Jesus. We need to have an answer, right? We need to have an answer. God provided for the Ethiopian the appropriate message and appropriate witness to guide him through the scriptures so that he can meet Jesus. And also, God provides for the response to the gospel. Look at verse 36. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, and Philip, um, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. First, one thing I, I just want to point out, and you can refer to your footnote, um, somebody made a mistake, right? So there's 36, and there's no 37, and then there's 38. No, it's not a mistake. Um, some Western manuscripts that are later add verse 37, um, but in your Bibles, the ESV Bibles, it should be a footnote. I think the King James and the New King James still leave it in there. Uh, most scholars believe that verse 37 
um, was something that copyists added later. They wanted to add a, a formal baptismal liturgy within that text because um, it sounded good. It was theologically really, really good. Listen to what it says. You can read it at the bottom of your page probably. The missing verse 37 says, And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. Right? In answer to what keeps me from being baptized. And he replied, the Ethiopian, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, theologically, this is really, really excellent. Theologically, we have people stand up here and we ask them three questions before they get in the water. And it's really good, right? It's really good. But, as scholars say, it's, it's probably something that was added later. So it's not something that Luke um, would, would have written, hence the footnote. But what is important to see, outside of all that, and now you're going to be all thinking about it now, um, outside of that, what's really important to see is the Ethiopian's response. So when, when Philip opened his mouth to speak, he systematically went through the scriptures and gave him the good news about Jesus, but he didn't stop there. He actually probably taught him what it meant to identify and follow Jesus. And the identifying marker of following Jesus is what? Baptism, right? It's baptism. He's like, hey, here's some water. What keeps me from being baptized? So the Ethiopian has this response, the good news of Jesus. And the Ethiopian has been walked with Philip through this, the text and through what it means to follow the Lord. And they come upon water. They come upon water? Where are they at again? Where are they? They're in the desert. And they just so happen at the right time to come upon a body of water. Now, who did that. God, that's right, Isabella, God. God did that. You see his response, and he's like, what keeps me from being baptized? Because right? obviously he believes, obviously there's joy. He's like, hey, here's water. What keeps me from being baptized? God provided. God provided the body of water. And I, and I don't want to move on from this, the identifying mark of being a Christian is baptism, right? That's the identifying mark. And so if, if you're here today and you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you believe that he came and he died in your place for your sins and that he rose from the grave on the third day, if you believe those things and you, you believe that with all your heart and you call Jesus Lord, then you need to be baptized. Amen? Children, if some of you believe that, we will sit and talk with you and your parents because your parents are the ones that can judge whether this is true or not, right? They, they, they're a good guide to us, to help us, and we can, we can baptize you. Some of you, adults, you haven't been baptized yet. Be baptized. See, there are people in the world right now in other parts of the world that are dying to be baptized and identify with Jesus. If their family finds out that they were dunked in the water, they'll be dead. Fortunately for us, God has blessed us in such a location that the worst that could happen to you is you sit here with wet hair for a service. If you're a Christian, you should be baptized. Reach out to the office, info at RedeemerBibleChurch.com. Talk to me, talk to one of the pastors. We'd love to talk to you about this. The identifying mark of being a Christian is a symbolic mark of baptism. Okay, look at th verse 39. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. 
There's a lot to talk about here. There's lots of discussion about whether Philip was actually transported away like Elijah or if the Holy Spirit compelled him so much they had to keep on traveling. Um, there's a Greek word that's used here that really means to carry or snatch away um, in such a way that, the, that you can't resist. Right? And, and there's no reason not to believe that Philip was supernaturally transported. There's no reason not to believe that. And one of the w- reasons why I come to that conclusion is because, you know, he finds himself at Azotus, right? That's, he's transported and he, he's there, right? And I don't think he was riding with Matthew McConaughey or something. I think that's where the Lord took him, right? Th- that's going to blow up on someone later. They're going to be, oh, I know what joke he meant right there. So he, he found himself there, right? Now, he didn't go to find himself somewhere. Like, the Lord took him and planted him there. Now, I don't think all the debate about supernatural events, all those things that fall under scrutiny, they all, all the supernatural events in the Bible, they fall under the scrut- scrutiny of natural people. The supernatural events fall under the scrut- scrutiny of natural people, and often it's not helpful. There's no reason, Christian, there's no reason, believer, why you shouldn't take this for what it says. Right? He's done it before. He could do it again. It's what the Bible says, so we believe it. Verse 40, Philip found himself at Azotus, Azotus and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So he, he arrives at this place, transported by the Holy Spirit, it's about 20 or 30 miles uh, north of Gaza. Gaza's kind of on the coast, and he's 20, 30 miles north of that. And then he just makes his way up the coast, preaching the gospel, right? He doesn't stop. Oh, man, I met this Ethiopian. He got converted. We baptized him. Uh, that's it. That, the, the best one, you know. Quit while you're ahead. No, you continue to preach the gospel until you, you're dying breath, right? That's what we're called to do. He finds himself in Caesarea, and evidently he settled there. 20 years later, Luke and Paul visit him, Acts 21.8. It says, on the next day we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. His family had become believers. What a good, what a great story. What a great ending to that. Amen. May it be for us, right, parents? May it be for us. For Philip, God had appointed an appointment that would allow him to share the good news with this Ethiopian who never again would have to return to Jerusalem and seek God to worship God because he knew the true God. He knew Jesus. For the eunuch, well, he left rejoicing. He left rejoicing. I, I love it when anytime the Bible says rejoicing, I love reading that. Because it reminds me that I don't do that enough. I don't rejoice enough. We have a great Savior who who really loves you. He wants you to know him. He wants you to delight in him. He wants you to be transformed by him. He wants you to be a witness for him. He wants you to be a sent messenger to all the appointments that he's got tomorrow for you. There are people in your workplaces that need the the gospel of Jesus Christ, don't they? He's sending you there. He left rejoicing. And it reminds me of Psalm 68, 31. It says, Nobles shall come from Egypt. Cush, the land of Cush, shall hasten to stretch out her hands to God. O kingdoms of the earth, sing to God. 
Sing praises to the Lord. To him who rides in the heavens, the ancient heavens, behold, he sends out his voice, his mighty voice. His mighty voice is the word of God, the one that we should know. The good news of Christ leads to rejoicing. We see that. We've seen that in Acts. God sends these bold witnesses. They, they're sent boldly to proclaim the good news of Christ, and people are added to the heavenly citizenship. There have often been times in my busyness and sadness, I forget about this joy, I forget about it. And it's not on purpose. I never mean to do this on purpose. It's, it's something about a consistent commitment, right? So there's, there's moments where the busyness of life or some other thing distracts me, and then I stop. A friend of mine recently said, my arrows start pointing in, right? I, my arrows start pointing in instead of pointing out. And lately, when this has happened, I've turned to this quote from Jonathan Edwards. I want to read this to you. This is about the beauty of the Savior. And I want it to, it fans the gospel flame in my heart and makes me burst. And I really want it to burst you today. Jonathan Edwards asks this question. He says, what is there that you could desire in a Savior that is not in Christ? What is there that is great or good? What is there that is venerable or winning? What is there that is adorable or endearing? What can you think of which would be encouraging, which is not found in Christ? Would you have your Savior to be great and honorable because you are unwilling to behold him to a low person? And is not Christ honorable enough to be worthy that you should be dependent on him? Is he not a person high enough to be appointed to, to so honorable a work as your salvation? Would you not only have a Savior of high degree, but would you have him to be, to be made of low degree? that he might experience afflictions and trials, that he might learn by the things that he has suffered to pity those who suffer and are tempted. And has not Christ made low enough for you? And has he not suffered enough? What is there lacking? Or what should you add, if you could, to make Christ more fit to be your Savior? And what's the answer? Nothing. There is nothing that makes him more fit that you could add. So friend, if you're here today, we saw how the scriptures were opened up for this Ethiopian from a prophecy that was written 700 years before Jesus Christ of Nazareth stepped foot in human form into time. And they bore witness to the Messiah that God was sending. So friend, if you're here and you, you're trying to figure out this church thing, you're trying to figure out what this following Jesus is all about. Today's the day he's pounding on the door of your heart and he wants you to believe in him for your salvation, for the forgiveness of sins so that you might delight in him for all time. Christian, there's some implications for you. Parents, there are some implications. You're sent. One of the things you're sent, you're sent into your homes. If you take 10 minutes, five days a week, right, you'll have... 40-plus hours of gospel instruction with your kids, gospel conversation with your kids by the end of the year. Ten minutes a day. You probably spend ten minutes a day talking to your kids about all kinds of stuff, right? Think about that. That's more than your church could offer. Forty-plus hours of instruction. Some of you, your coworkers that need Jesus, they probably have questions of the Bible. And God has sent them a Christian who could say, hey, would you like to start a Bible study? 
figure out what the Bible's talking about. David Helm has a great book. It's called One-to-One Scripture Reading. It goes through ways you can just read the Bible together. That's one of my favorite things to do. In fact, all of the biblical counseling that I've ever done, the best thing that I've ever done is just read through a book of the Bible with somebody. Because there are answers here. There are good treasures here. Some of you young people, you're sent to to karate or, or soccer fields or hockey rinks. You're sent there and you're the one who knows Jesus and God's sending you into these appointments. God appoints appointments. But as we see, he also provides for them. Amen. So my, my prayer for you is that tomorrow, as you go off and get into the main schedule of your life, that you remember that the Lord's with you and he has sent you and he has prepared some appointments for you.